Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the Why Don't They Make V Clips Anymore to my annoying frustration that I will have to buy something 3D printed to suit my needs, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm sick. I can't believe I, I nailed that one. Yeah, I feel I'm, terrible I'm sick. too. I, I, I've got this cold that's going around where you get the cold and then it goes away and then it comes back and you cough stuff up and then you get sexy, smelly cat singing voice like I do right now, I guess. It was better. It was better earlier today. I, I was so like, yeah, earlier today. I have the seasonal allergies here in Texas, the lovely juniper slash cedar tree, which apparently is made of 100 um, percent pure from concentrate evil. Jonathan, I can't remember a podcast that I edited where you didn't mention that you were having allergies, bad allergies right then. Like I, I literally can't. It, it This season took off early. And it has been by far the worst I have ever experienced in 15 years in this godforsaken hell state. Yeah, I got out of there. <sighs> it just rains here. It's oh nice, I guess. If only I could, Robert. If only I could. Anyway, get us back on track. Announcements, Jonathan. All right. Well, announcements. As always, let's get this episode started off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and we do appreciate it. We also appreciate everybody's patience as I know we've been a bit sporadic on episodes lately. It's just been a rough year and I'm really ready for 2023 to be in the rear view. Yeah, I forgot to mention it but my my long-suffering cat died actually. That happened to... It was weird actually. I edited the episode where I was talking about how sick she was. After she died. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not yeah. cool. I mean, it's for the best, man. She was, she'd been sick for a good year and a half. And it, I know, but that doesn't, no, nah, but easier. you know, I, I, I kind of look at it this way. She had a, she broke her hip actually when she was like two and we paid a lot of money to fix it. And she got 13 more years that she, you know, wouldn't have gotten in the wild out of that. And, you know, I think that's, that's a pretty good run. 15 years for a cat, not a bad, not a bad time. So, and, and, uh, her sister cat, uh, which is her actual factual sister. It's been sad. She's been a little, she gets clingy some days. Like she misses her sister. And so she's like really snuggly and wants to be up in everybody's grill. And then other days she's kind of normal and just acting like herself. But I, I will say she has enjoyed the affection because, uh, my cat would not let, uh, my other cat Newt anywhere near me, you know, like, like I was hers and she got mad if I was petting the other cat. So she's been enjoying getting affection out of me again, which has been fun, but yeah, it's sad. Having, having lost pets in the last couple of years. Yes. I'm right there with you. It's just never, it's never a good day. And you know what I did? You know what I did, Jonathan? I, uh, I, I, the day after it happened, I was sitting there I was thinking about making a Facebook post about it. And I, um, I was sitting there and I was sad and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to just post pictures of my pet. I want people to be sad. So I went out and wrote (laughs) a post specifically designed to just kick you right in the feels. 
And it worked. I, I, I was, it was a work of art, man. I don't, I don't know how that came out of me at eight o'clock in the morning when I was half awake, but yeah, no, sorry. Six o'clock in the morning when I was half awake, come to think of it. But it, it was, it was a loving tribute. She was a good cat. She liked me a lot. Anyway, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. 2023 could just suck it. That's basically ha- what it comes down to. Happy right National Ambrosia Day, Jonathan. According to Greek mythology, ambrosia is the nectar of the gods, endowing strength and immortality to those who eat it. But uh, I'm talking about ambrosia salad, which appeared in the 1800s. Recipes called for citrus fruit, coconut, and sugar. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Ooh, that, that, every so often that just crops up at somebody's party, and I'm always fascinated by the fact that that is just the thing yeah, that will not yeah. die. Uh, the, even though it really the, the thing in the picture to. here is uh, marshmallows, cherries, citrus, and and some sort of goop covering it oh, all. Oh God, that just does not sound appetizing. Yeah, yeah, I, it's a Midwest thing, man. They they make that all the time out in the Midwest. Apparently, I have no idea. Yes, they do. That's where I keep running into it, and it's it actually like I was out in the Midwest for um, work a couple years ago, and I remember being fascinated by the fact that several places that we went to for meals offered ambrosia salad mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I didn't realize they had a vial section in the menu. Just like just like they have that hot dish. You know, can't call it a casserole. They got to call it hot dish. What a weird concoction. Like, that is, that, that's got some 1950s. Do, do, I, I've told you this, you know but I haven't I mean? told the viewers. Um, my cousin, well, I guess he's my ex-cousin now because my actual cousin and him got divorced. But, uh, he opened up a food truck where he sells, um, oh shoot, what's it called? It's a Spanish dish. Like what is in it? Uh, oh, paella, paella. Ceviche? Oh, paella. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so his food truck emblazoned on the side of it, you know, is, uh, you know, paella. It's the hot dish of Spain. And I'm like, God, that is the most Minnesotan thing I've read, like, ever. It's great. I love it so much. Because it's like. <laughs> Well, I mean, did he open it in the in? It's in, a food truck. He he can open it wherever. In, he he's got like a giant. No, no, I know, but did he? You know, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Minnesota. Man. So I guess what I'm saying. Okay, well then there you go. But then it's it's kind of rad. He's got this uh, food truck uh, that has this like absurdly huge skillet in the back of it that they make it all fresh on. Here, I'll just send you the website. You can look at it yourself. Why am I even trying to describe it? We we live in the future. You describe it to our audience. My voice is all effed up. Where do you want it? Where do you want it? <laughs> Put it in, in, the, in Discord. the Discord. Right, you got it in the Discord, buddy. You got it. The Paella Depot. That's what's called. Hi, Doug. The hot dish of Spain. I you know. are correct. I know. It does say that. It's great. Tasty paella. Agua mm-hmm. frescas. Scroll down uh, to the... the th- Dude, his food truck is super nice. I like how right, it right? on and the you side. See the giant skillet? It's, it's kind of rad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that all the time in, in uh, Spain, uh, the street vendors. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's where he got, got the idea from. But yeah, it's pretty rad. I did not have a chance to go get some while I was out there, although he was at an event uh, that while I was, I was out there a couple of years ago. But uh, it would have been a little awkward because we were actually staying with his ex-wife. So yeah, just didn't want to go do that as much as I wanted to go do that. You know, maybe just next time you just sneak away. We thought about it. We thought about it. The the kids are a little bit older, so I I wouldn't feel bad leaving them somewhere, you know, unattended. Two years ago, though, there were like five. It was not a great idea. I'm really impressed by his food truck. I love how it opens up. That's really inviting. It's pretty cool. For a food truck. Hashtag things I never thought I would (laughs) say in my life. Moving right along. Moving right along. All righty. Oh, one, one last announcement. One last announcement. 
we're, we're not going to watch No Smoking. We can't bring ourselves to do it. So we're going to move on to Dolan's Cadillac because hopefully that'll get us back on track with the king and all things. <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully we can squeeze one more episode in before the There is absolutely break. no way that's going to happen. Guaranteed, guaranteed. Because right, we'll the be first, next year. Uh, this epi- our next recording date is the first day of winter break for my kids in probably years. Oh, God, that's going to be a miserable uh-huh. week. Two weeks, two weeks, guy. Two weeks. They're off for two weeks. <laughs> what a living hell that'll be. I work from home, right? I know. Oh, man. I guess nothing, a little bit of duct tape and good old-fashioned elbow grease won't fix. And day drinking. Day. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, well. Moving right along, it's time for us to get off the shelf. That is, of course, talk, our segment where we discuss all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves and into our tables and digital media players and all kinds of stuff. Where'd you like to start today, Robert? I don't know. I'm actually looking at our last episode's notes to make sure I don't cover everything, anything again, because, you know, it's been a while. So sometimes trying to stretch the brain back, I stretch it back too far. Stretch it back too far. Yeah, hey, Robert. Do you know what happens if someone fla- slaps you at a high frequency? Mm. It hurts. Mm. All right. See, there we go. I was going to talk about Friday the 13th in movies, but we talked about that last time. Just just trying to, you know, trying to get us in that headspace. Fair enough. Uh, I don't know. What do you want to start with? You want to just go down the, the down the board? Yeah, let's just do it in order, right, I guess. Cool. Board cool. games? Welcome to. We've been playing it. Man, this this particular round, I just can't. Like I, I was telling you earlier, I just can't find a, a a rhythm, something to chase. Like it's just been this weird smattering of cards. We went forever without a park. This, this game kind of sucks. Yeah, it's it's kind of awful. Like I ain't gonna lie. Not that it's a bad game. It's just this mix has been very frustrating. It's been a very frustrating game. You're right. You're right. Yeah, it's, I'm it's, reminded of when I moved out here and uh, my apartment and this house. All the light switches weren't quite where you'd think they'd be. In like, you know, houses in California and Texas, you know what I mean? Like, it's that level yeah. of frustrating, you know? It's like, not bad. I'm not ready to like flip the table and tell this game to go F itself and run away. You know, I'm go throw my copy of it in the fire. It's just like, just like, Jesus, wh- what's going on? I don't understand. Just these little minor annoyances that keep piling up. It's like, what, what game? What, what, why, why? You know, usually you can, you can settle after two or three rounds. You're going to be like, okay, these are the things I can chase. These, these are the things that make sense. But w- with the weird... I'm with you. You know, kind of like several several rounds have had mu- multiple, if not all of the cards, be the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. And then it, it, it's like rotating that that way. Every turn, it's a different theme, and it's just impossible to kind of find something to chase. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Still, uh, still a damn fine game. I mean, if this is the worst game of it I've ever played, which I, I honestly don't think it is even, even uh, it's, it's still a very delightful game. Still having yeah. a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you uh, were bold and brave enough to uh, jump into a round of Hadrian. Oh, Squall. my God, man. That game, there is a lot to parse in that game, and that's where I'm having problems. I, I think we talked about it on the, yeah, on we the, did. the we review. Did. When you first look at it, like it's like, oh, man, what, what, what am I getting into? But if you really take the time to, to do a little bit of studying, read through the manual, like... You can I, I find... think I need to play this game live with somebody so I can ask stuff. It helps. And and honestly, we're not doing ourselves any favor looking at this on the screen. Like I, I told Ray the first time we played online, it was like, 
the phone screen's not doing me any favors. I'm I'm forgetting half the stuff that's out there. Yeah. Well, I, I just have questions and and like I, I watched a video on how to play it and actually I watched two because I watched one that was five minutes and it didn't give me enough, so I had to go find a twenty minute version. And I'm trying to remember the lessons I learned in that, but like there's just like enough meeples and enough resources to like just it's like I, okay, it's like I kind of want to do this thing. How do I do it? And I can't I can't quite remember how to get it all going because it's an engine builder. But I've never built the engine before, so I mean, I know I'm going to lose, but also the the fact that you know turns aren't happening one after the other after the other. Like I'm I, I I'm finding myself having to watch that video every time I want to think about taking a turn, and it's just not helping me because it's like ah, oh, I don't have 25 minutes right now. I'd rather do anything else than you know. There's other YouTube videos I want to watch than this video on how to watch or how to play Hadrian's Wall again. I will say this. This is one of those games where it, it, a round or two into it, you'll be like, I don't know why I was ever afraid of this. I, I have no doubt. It's it's worker placement. It's not that hard. It's just it's just getting a sense of how to build the engine is not very intuitive, yeah. especially in this interface, <laughs> especially in this interface. So, yeah, I will say it is definitely um, definitely easier to see it. Uh, when it's laid out in front of you for whatever reason. Well, that makes sense. What else have you been playing, Jonathan? What else have I been playing? Um, just a lot of old games. Um, just because I, I, we had an opportunity to kind of get some playtime in, but nobody wanted to take the time to learn something new. So we jumped in and played, um, Jaipur, the classic, uh, still an amazing trading experience and potion explosion, which I know you're a fan of. I am a fan of. Christmas is coming up. I'll probably take that to the uh, folks again. That game is so fun. Like I just the entire time I was playing it, I was like, ah, oh, this this is exactly why what I wanted, and this is exactly what I missed. It just knows what it does. It does it really, really well, and it's got such a great presentation. <laughs> it's also nice when we we go over to the grandparents for the holidays because we we do tend to get a lot of board games in. Because when we're home, we watch we've been watching Doctor Who, but we won't have that option at Grandma and Grandpa's. <laughs> Well, speaking of, should we move on to movies and TV? Yeah, yeah. So, what have you been watching, Robert? Where do I begin? There's so. Oh, much. I, I, I chopped mine down to just five. Psh, coward. All right, I'll start with the highest of highs. So, Godzilla minus one came out. Over I want to hear no more other than, is it good? It is the best Godzilla movie out of all of them. Wow, that's a statement. Yeah. It's Not, getting like crazy good Rotten Tomato scores. Yeah, it deserves every every. In fact, moment what's of it. it sitting at right now? Ninety six. Last time I looked, and I think the audience score was higher. Uh, as of right now, live on the show, it is at ninety six on critics, ninety eight percent on audience. I actually just saw a segment of this on um, VFX artists react. They did a segment, and the the effects looked really good too. Uh, the the effects so don't matter for why that's a, a fantastic movie, but it's nice. Careful, don't ruin it for me. I I I, I, I don't know how to describe how, how or why it's so good in a way that doesn't let, let me, give let, it away. But it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like literally, Amelia has gotten into monster movies. No, don't take her to it. Oh, that bad. No, kind of? no, it's not. It just what the movie's about will not appeal to her in the slightest. Gotcha. Because the reason it's a good movie is, as I have said before, you only give a crap about Godzilla movies based off of the the people story. 
And the people story is a pretty heavy drama. Like, okay. Okay. I mean, it takes place between 1945 and like 1949, I think I forget where the movie ends, but you know, that's like immediate post-war Japan. It's, it's heavy dude. Like it's not, I was thinking about taking, because my, my son Miles likes Godzilla movies and, and he wanted to go, but I wanted to see it first. Cause I, I heard, I heard this one's like this version of Godzilla is particularly scary. And I'm like, you know, I want to see it first just to be sure. And it was like, no. And it's not because I don't think he could take it. It's because the, the, the story of it would honestly just bore him as a five-year-old because the movie's not about Godzilla. It's, it's just Godzilla is a thing that is there during it, but it is, it is about other things and it's very, very good. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 nuts when your little one totally gets into things like monsters. I I, I keep trying to like figure out what what is gonna like upset her or freak her out, but she's like looks at me and she's, "Daddy, th- this isn't real. This is make believe." I'm like, I'm, "That's my line." I mean, that's fine. And you know, if you're watching it and she wants to sit down and watch it with you, that's fine. But don't waste your money on a ticket for her. She will be bored. It's, oh no no no! I'm not talking about this. I'm just talking in general. Just well, like, I'm, I'm just saying on this having like, a little kid being the monster movies, you just don't know where to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Godzilla versus Kong, the new one, is coming out. And she'll probably be fine with that because that'll just be a silly. She loves that whole series. She makes makes us watch them on Netflix. Not that I'm particularly opposed. Yeah, yeah. So just, uh, but yeah, don't no. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's amazing. It's it's really fantastic. I was I was generally surprised how I felt when I walked out of that movie. Like it was right, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go and I think I'm gonna try and get to the theater on that one. Uh yeah, and do it soon because that's not the type of movie that lasts in the theater all that long. All right, what what else do you have? Uh we've been continuing our, uh, Doctor Who. We're on the thirteenth Doctor and the new episodes with the fourteenth Doctor, David Tennant, have been coming out. Uh, the second one as of this recording is out. And we've been watching that and it has been quite fun. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, throwback Dr. Donna team up, team up. It's, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So I need to get back into Dr. Who it's just, Oh, I really want to. Well, the, really want to. the the next, cause the first series season on Disney plus, they're not going to call it season 14 or whatever it's supposed to be. They're going to rebrand it with season one and they're kind of trying to, you know, do a soft reboot of the series because they, you know, not that they're not that they're ignoring the past stuff because they they aren't. They're just trying to kind of have a point where it's like you don't need to watch all that previous stuff. Just just start here and it'll start making sense a couple episodes in as we sort of do our own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, what what I like about it is uh, the 13th Doctor's seasons were were very controversial for a number of reasons, not just the, the chuddy, it's a girl doctor thing, but like, you know, just actual storyline beats. Uh, a lot of people were kind of, there were, there's a lot of division about the storyline beats. And, uh, I mean, Chris Chimble was on record that he just said, I, I assume that Russell will just ignore everything I did. Uh, you know, because again, it was very divisive, but he, he hasn't shied away from it. He just said, like, yeah, all this stuff happened. Like, they brought it up by name, you know, like like episode names and talking. He's The doctors talked about what happened during the 13th Doctor's time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's nice. It's nice to see that he's not just ignoring it. And the new TARDIS is so sexy, Jonathan. It's, it's, it's quite fun. All right. Well, I watched an absolutely craptacular movie called Hunter Killer uh, starring one Gerard Butler. Uh, who's playing an American submarine captain. You know what's crazy to me, Robert? Hmm. A movie that came out in 1989 has better 
visual effects on the submarines than this movie. That's not hard. It is a hot mess. It's like, it's like, it doesn't even hit Michael Bay in terms of plot holes. Like, it, it, that would be an upgrade. Plot holes are overrated, but. It just, none of it makes sense. It's bananas. Absolutely bananas. It's called Hunter Killer. Hunter Killer. It is so bad. And it's got like an amazing cast. I don't know how they got all these people onto this film. It, it's, oh, it's perplexing. Gary Oldman? Yes. Completely wasted, I might add. Completely and utterly wasted. Oh, wow. Yeah, the stuff in the preview is not great. It, it's just, it's absolutely perplexing. I've seen video game cutscenes with better graphics. The camera is like, it, it, it's, it's, it's like whoever the, the director of photography was, was just on speed the whole time. Like the camera never stops moving. It's just awkward. Everything about it is awkward and it just doesn't have a good flow. And it's this weird edit and just like, oh, it's a hot mess. It's an absolute hot mess. It's a waste of Gerard Butler. It's a waste of Gary Oldman. It's an absolute waste of Common because he is amazing. Hmm. Linda Cardellini's in it and she's like, can, can somebody get me back to my Velma suit, please? You know, her uh, the most expensive piece of costuming on that entire movie was her sweater because she's allergic to a lot of stuff. So it was made out of something like crazy expensive so she could wear it. I found that out. That's a bit of trivia I remember from the Scooby-Doo movies. She is an amazing actress as well. Like I've seen her in so much stuff in these amazing roles. And it's just like, God, what? what, there's nothing perhaps worse than just seeing a bunch of super talented actors and actresses just completely and utterly wasted. I rewatched Prometheus. That almost happened um, over here too, but it didn't. Was that a good thing? I don't remember that movie. Um, how should I put this? There's a good movie in there, and I think it just got overly edited hmm. because it feels very jumpy when you watch it. And, and and I've seen enough of the special features to know that they shot all the, the connective tissue, and I think there's the original cut needed to be like three hours long, and I just don't think that the studio was okay with that. Yeah, the thing I don't like the thing gorgeous. I don't like about it is I read the script before Damon Lindoff got his mitts into it um, when it was much more directly an alien prequel and like was actually set on LV four twenty six, and uh, yeah, that movie was like better because it. The thing I didn't I remember not liking about it is I felt that the movie was almost embarrassed to be part of the Aliens franchise. Like it was going way out of its way to kind of say no, no, we're not that. You know, and it's like, don't don't be embarrassed by that. It's a, those are great movies, man. Like, own it. You know, yeah. It's, Lean it's into that. To be embarrassed by that because that that movie's phenomenal. Yeah, like, you should be proud to be a part of that franchise. Yeah, yeah, and that that was my overall opinion of it. It felt embarrassed, almost like to be connected to that. Like, it's like we're not we're not that over there. No, 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 no. It's like, yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Come on. I don't know. Keep it rolling, man. We got We got to have a good one in there somewhere. Positive podcast. Um, what else did I watch? Oh, I, I, I convinced my wife to watch Dune. The, the newer one or the old one? The new one. Good, the new one. good, good. The old one's fun. And she really enjoyed it. I don't doubt it. It's a good movie. 
to the point where we have an active date set to go to Dune 2 in the theaters. Oh, my. And like, okay, now granted, I had to do a lot of explaining because my wife and sci-fi just don't, that's not their, that's not their vibe. I look at Dune the same way I look at like Destiny and when something doesn't really make sense, you just sort of go, it's a paracausal thing, you know, it's just space magic, man. It's just space magic. Just roll with it. It's space magic. It's fine. Don't worry about the space flow, man. Yeah. Don't worry about the space magic. It's, it's okay. That movie, by the way, you want to talk about a movie that gets better every time you watch it. My God, that, that movie is just so beautifully constructed. Every single frame is a painting. You know, the weak link in that movie, honestly, is the same one that was in the miniseries on sci-fi. And it's the same one that was in the original movie, which is namely the doctor character that betrays them. They play it off in the movie like it's this big twist. And it's like, you know, for the uninitiated, you're like, who? <laughs> you know, like that character's barely on screen uh, prior to his betrayal, really. I mean, he, he is. And, and that, that is that is definitely <coughs> part of the problem. Like they never the, the, the weakest part of that movie is it's not just that character it's that they forget to tell you about the imperial conditioning. They forget to tell you about the importance of the of the, the uh, you know, diamond, all of that, like all of that gets left behind. And I get it. I mean, the movie's all, already like, what, two and a half hours long, three hours long. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, if they had just done a little bit more there, that that would have been a level of perfection as it is now. I don't know that you can make a better adaptation of Dune for the screen. I don't know that it, 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 it could. Oh, just. it could be done easy because it could be done the, the way it really needs to be done. And it's the same reason that the, the sci-fi miniseries was, was really good in its way. It just didn't have any money. Um, yeah. If you made it like a, a, a an HBO miniseries, it'd be great because you'd, you'd have the time because that, that's what yeah. that needs. You need the time. You need the time to like let things bake for quite a while. No, you're not, you're, you're, you're absolutely not wrong as it is. I can't believe they managed to uh, convince the studio to let them do two films. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's honestly a great, I mean, that gave them like five, six hours to tell that story. I mean, it could easily stretch into eight to 10, uh, and, and be fine, but yeah, yeah it needs to be like a HBO type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how you make that movie better. But, but for what it is, it's, it's, it's darn good. So, but yeah, that is the weak link. It's, it's that doctor character. They never do an adequate job of explaining why his betrayal is what a twist. Cause it's a character you barely know, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. But besides that, it is a very wonderful film. That's my only gripe with it. And I'll say it again. I like the sci-fi miniseries of it. It was good. It, you know, it has flaws. It has very serious flaws. Like the fact that they had one desert set with one pile of sand on it that they filmed everything on. And it was hilarious because it was really <laughs> easy to spot. It was super easy to spot when they were on that one pile of sand. But, you know, for what it was, it was quite fun. And, you know, it was much more faithful to the book than that David. Was it David Lynch who did the original? Yes. I will bend like a reed in the wind or whatever the line is. I'm going to whisper weirdness into your ears. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, positive podcast. Don't get me wrong. It was a good movie, but that's like, if anybody, the, the thing they need to fix, if anybody comes back to that franchise and wants to do it again in like 20 years, that that's the part they need to fix. It's that, that the, what a twist of the doctor is never handled right. And I don't know. I don't know how you do it. But somebody needs to figure that out to make a better movie. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. 
Well, I'll go to do my intertwinedness then. Uh, so continuing on from our slasher film education with my daughter, we watched A Nightmare on Elm Street 1, 2, and 3. Might I say those movies have oddly aged poorly in the best way. <laughs> do you tell? Freddy Krueger says really messed up things by today's not that they weren't messed up by those days standards but everything that comes out of that guy's mouth has not aged well you know it's made him much more of a creeper and racist and sexist and just an awful human being and it works because you hate him more like he still works as a villain because he's just he's like a boomer you know he's like this evil ghost boomer it kills you in nightmares you know that uncle that you don't want to talk to during thanksgiving the bad guy with knives on his hands, you know, like it's, it's, it works. It works. You really, really dislike him. <laughs> like my daughter hated him so much when we were watching it. It was so funny. Like she was, she was just so on board for having him die. Like I, you know, she almost wanted to keep going with the franchise. Cause I said the, the sixth one is titled Freddy's dead and they blow him up with a stick of dynamite in his pants. And she's like, I kind of want to watch <laughs> that. And I'm like, I don't blame you. It's pretty fun. But it's not worth going that far. What we did do, though, is after uh, Friday the 13th, 1 through 3, and Nightmare on Elm Street, 1 through 3, we then went and watched Freddy versus Jason. And she loved that. She has said that it's her favorite movie ever. Like, she said that was like... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, Freddy has not aged well in that film. He says racist, sexist, awful things. And you hate him. But, like, uh, that... F- God, that fight at the end between the two of them. Oh. Oh. Like... Speaking of movies that aren't embarrassed about what they are, the people who made Freddy versus Jason, they knew what they were making and they were having a great time. And it really showed in the final product. You know, that that movie is not afraid to be what it is. It is it is so into the idea of what it is. And uh, it's exquisite. It's great. You know, and I, I, I saw it happen. I saw the point where that became my daughter's favorite movie. Um, you know, at the in the finale when they pull Jason or they pull Freddy out of the dream world. And he's like on top of a girl, like menacing her and being kind of terrible to her. Like Freddie is cause he's a creepy old, old jerk face. And then like Jason busts into the burning cabin and Freddie gets that look on his face when he sees Jason's like there, like actually factually there, like in the real world, not just in his dream world. And he, he has this look of like, Oh, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it played well then. And then, and then Jason just picks him up, rams his head through a, a, a window and then just runs straight down the cabin, just busting windows with Freddy's head the entire way. Oh, it was, oh, oh, chef's kiss of the episode, my friend. It, it's great. That's a great film. We're trying to prep her to watch Cabin in the Woods. So we watched. Uh, oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we watched The Evil Dead 2 because The Evil Dead is kind of messed up. And uh, I, I didn't want to watch it again because that one's messed up. The, the, the horror versions, the actual factual like horror, horror, Evil Dead movies are really disturbing. And I'm like, you know, I saw them once and it was fine, but I, I don't know if I want to do that again, especially with my kid. So we'll watch we'll watch Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. I'm trying to get her to watch that again. Um, and then we also watched Scream, which she uh, she liked. She liked quite a bit. Sophia she- is so into Scream. She watches them all over and over and over again. It's insanity. Huh. I haven't even seen four through six. You're not missing anything, man. Cause, cause like, that, that franchise got off the rails when Jay and silent Bob were in the third one. That was kind of the end of the f- series. As far as I'm concerned, man, like the first one was great because it, it's such 
a send up of an entire genre. And then the second one's like, ha ha we're just going to become self-referential. And it just goes downhill from there. But yeah. And so I think, oh, and we watched the original Halloween come to think of it, uh, which she also liked. She thought it was fun. Um, so at this point, I think for Cabin in the Woods, I think we need to have Hellraiser because there's a pretty, pretty big reference to a, a Hellraiser type situation in that one. Um, cause there's a, a guy, the not at all pinhead shows up pretty, pretty prominently at the, in the finale of that. Um, I think we need to watch a werewolf movie and I'm more partial to the howling series than I am to American werewolf in London. So I think we're going to watch that the first howling, which, which is a really, I, I just watched, uh, recently the, the, the Wolfman with, uh, my two eldest. Hmm. Because they wanted to watch something gory. And I was like, oh. The one with Benicio Del Toro? Yes. Hmm. That was okay. I I watched it in the theaters. I remember it being all right, but nothing. There's like 85% of a really good movie in there. And then there's the ending. And that's where it all falls apart. The final act? No way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, but we're almost there. We're almost across the finish line for Cabin in the Woods. Because, yeah. I think, I think, yeah. I think Hellraiser won. And, uh and the howling. And I think we can, I think we can go there and she'll be really happy. She likes Ellen Ripley. So she'll be happy when Sigourney shows up in her cameo at the end. There you go. God, I love that movie. I can't wait to hear what she thinks of it. And then to round me out, uh, uh, Rick and Morty has been continuing with the new voice actors and it's been, uh, it's been quite good. The honest to God, the best episode of the season just happened. And it was a very summer heavy episode, which was quite fun. It was good that she, her, her starring episode, the first one named after her, no less, uh, was actually was actually very good, and she called uh, she called Grandpa Rick out on why she has to do chores to to do cool stuff with her, and Morty doesn't have to do anything. And he says, "Morty is like a puppy; he's gonna love me no matter what I do." But I actually respect you, so I treat you like a cat. And I'm like, you know, you know, not not actually the worst thing to say to somebody because yeah, you do have to earn a cat's love, and and you know, and and he kind of just basically says like, yeah, I look at you as more of an equal than I look at your brother. And it's like, damn, you know, that's actually a pretty high compliment coming out of that guy. So it was an interesting episode. And also Summer kills a lot of people in that one. Like she's quite good at just butchering people, which is kind of frightening. Like if my daughter at 16, 17 was suddenly quite good at just murdering the world, I would I would be a little worried about that because she's quite good at it. And that rounds me out, my friend. Well, to round myself out, uh, rewatch Mission Impossible 3 because I just needed something on in the background. And I'd forgotten that that is a uh, competently put together movie that is super fun. That one saved the franchise, man. Like It did. It really did. And you realize why. And it, it's not trying to do anything fancy. It just, it's just a good little Mission Impossible movie. It knows exactly what it is and it doesn't stray from it and it executes on it relentlessly it's really i'd forgotten what a lovely movie that was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and then i rewatched arrival uh because of dune i have having watched dune i was like i need another you're talking about the one with the the space aliens and the lady who studies their language and not the one with charlie sheen uh investigating the, the i said chain. arrival not the arrival oh, that's the distinction that's that's a good point charlie sheen is the arrival mm-hmm. which by the way worked in a the movie theater when that movie came out Watch it in theaters. I did too. Oh, there's just no cleansing that from your soul. I thought it was good. I mean, oh, for what I it feel was. Stained. Oh, I feel stained. Oh, watch it again. Watch it again. Oh, I'll try. I mean, I'll if try. you could, if you could ignore what Charlie Sheen became, 
that's the problem. Just I'm just going to hear him screaming about Tiger's blood the whole time. Okay, maybe maybe you should wait until after he dies. Then maybe then you can separate that that art from the artist because the the movie, other than that, is is quite is decent at least. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Shall we move on to reading? Sure. So, okay, back in the day, a little bit of history here. Back in the day, uh, when I was a young man, Robotech, of course, on TV, fell in love with it. Uh, first anime I ever really enjoyed. And they released a bunch of novelizations, uh, which actually expanded on the very rapid mythos that uh, was constructed in the in the TV show. Uh, and this Titan Books has started re-releasing them in three vol- uh, uh, basically compendiums. Each compendium is uh, three of the books bound together. And so I have decided to pick them up and I'm uh, chewing through the first one and I'd forgotten that they are just an enjoyable read for those of us who like Robotech. Nice. By Jack McKinney, uh, who uh, executed uh, quite well on the, sh- the, the thinnest... The thinnest of 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 uh, material, and then uh, I <laughs> am just about done. I think I've got like two chapters left of American Prometheus, which is of course the Robert Oppenheimer story. Um, and then to round that out, I actually have sitting on my desk Oppenheimer in four K. And so as soon as I finish American Prometheus, I'm going to sit down and watch the movie which will be very odd because my grandfather took part in that. And I am, we will never know the extent to which he was involved because all of that was super classified and he never spoke of it. He, we just knew he was in New Mexico at that time. And he was a, uh, he, a, a radio scientist, which would make sense when you're trying to study something that, you know, lets off a huge electromagnetic pulse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, if we, I don't know that we'll ever know, which is, weirdly upsetting that's it that's all i've been reading how about you not much i've been renting a lot of books from the library but i I haven't been getting very far in any of them actually uh except i got my hands on a copy of ghostbusters a supernatural spectacular which was the original novelization of the original ghostbusters And uh, first off, because we, we had that talk about where, where did all the movie novelizations go? They don't do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I actually liked it. I, I could tell it was based off of a shooting script, uh, which was interesting because, you know, some of Pete Venkman's more iconic lines, obviously, you know, uh, Bill Murray did a lot of improvising according to all accounts, but a surprising amount of his lines were in there. Like he didn't, he either riffed on existing stuff or he just kind of said what was there. But, you know, but then again, you know, we came, we saw, we kicked its ass and all that stuff that, that was, that wasn't exactly there, but, um, I liked it. I liked, um, the author did a very good job of giving all of the various characters in our monologue. That was interesting to read and kind of made the characters more interesting. Like, you know, Vankman in that is not nearly as confident as he lets on in his inner monologue. Uh, and it talks about the semi canon status that he's, uh, he grew up as a carny <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, as movie novelizations go, it was quite nice. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Almost as good as the aliens novelization that I read, which had a, a fairly long section where Jones, the cat was the point of view character, 
talking about batting at mice uh, through the window of the dust flying against the window of LV-426. So I, I still remember that to this day about how weird weird that was, but enjoyable. If you really want a, a, a trip, um, go read the Waterworld novelization ah. and you'll realize it, it, it's like, oh my God, that script went through some changes. Huh. Yeah, I wonder which draft they based the novelization on. I don't know, but then I, at one point I actually acquired the original script that had been written and it was like bananas different. Hmm. Like there was a horse on the boat with him and there was all kinds of stuff. Weird. Uh, by the way, I did not realize this. I uh, did a little Googling while we were chatting and um, yeah, apparently Jack McKinney was not a real human being. It was a pseudonym used by authors James Lucino and Brian Daly before Brian Daly's death. What is this in relation to? I'm not picking up what you're putting down. The, the, the Jack McKinney's the person, well, I thought the person that wrote the Robotech books. Oh, okay. But it was actually a, a, a pseudonym for two, two authors. And they took the original Robotech story and in one year <laughs> churned out 12 books. Hmm. And then um, did another five books for the, the the middle part, the Sentinels. And then for the end of it, they did another five books for the for the um, next generation chapter. Hmm. And then they also apparently wrote this thing called the Black Hole Travel Agency, which sounds amazing. <laughs> now I have something else to dig up and see if I can find. All right, there you go. <laughs> what a what a weird day it's being. All right, moving right along. So that was reading. Um, shall we talk about video games a little bit? <laughs> a little bit. Sure. All right. So um, oddly enough, Amelia got really into Batman and she convinced me to play Batman Arkham Asylum uh, with her. And she has been absolutely adoring it. Uh, and so I'm replaying through Batman Arkham Asylum, which is it's one of those moments where you like sit down, you start playing it and you're like, oh, man, I forgot how fun this game was. This game's amazing. That game is aged so, so gracefully. I mean, in the sense that Arkham Asylum is freaking horrifying in that. Like, oh, my God. Uh, it is. It is. We have a lot of discussions about what's going on. I don't know. It's really tough when you've got a, a little one that's surrounded by all the older kids because she is so, so much further down the um, maturation uh, route than, than the other kids. Weird. But for a 2009 game, man, that game holds up really well. It's a fourteen-year-old game, and it, it, it you could release it today, and I think it would still be just as good. Uh, and then um, I have been playing a lot of Modern Warfare Three, the new COD game, Call of Duty, and it's a positive podcast. So I'll just say that I have been playing a lot of Call of Duty Modern Warfare Three. Okay. Oh my god, dude! The multiplayer is such a mess. Positive. Podcast. Everything about this game's a mess. Positive oh podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I've continued to play a ton of Forza Motorsport because that game is very, very, very fun, uh, very well-made car game, and I am having an absolute blast with it. I am just falling in love with it. I'll blow through two of mine real quick, uh, cause they're oldie but goodies. Still playing Destiny 2 with my boys. Uh, the new season started and I got hit with a nerf, which is never fun. I'm, I'm, I'm very sad. Uh, and then I've been playing Stellaris because a new expansion on console finally came out. It's been like a year. 
I found out the uh, the old people that were working on the console edition got replaced with a new crew, and so they've been spinning up, getting onto that task, and it's been slow going. And it's going to be another year before any expansions are out because the next two, two expansions are out, quote, late 2024. Hopefully they're working on a, P- a PS5 version of the game. Maybe that's why it's taking so long. Like when those launch, they'll have a PS5 version that you can get. I'm still waiting for the board game that I ordered like three years ago. Fun. I've been playing a lot of Mortal Kombat 1. That game is awesome. It is such a great package. It's everything you would want. The storyline's amazing. Really just picks up right where the last one left off and, and takes it in a whole new direction in a very interesting way. The um, multiplayer is awesome. Playing a lot of that with Carlos. Uh, and the mechanics that they baked into that have just been amazing. I just really, I think it's just a, a, a solid package. All of the last like four or five Mortal Kombat games have just been so solid in there. Their presentation and how much they offer you. It's, it's so good. And then in the Nintendo Switch department, I picked up a copy of Mario Wonder, which is lovely. Absolutely lovely. Uh, Amelia's been playing that a lot with her um, siblings. Everybody's loving the daylights out of it. And it's uh, that I have no other way to describe that game other than lovely. It's a lovely Mario game with a really cool multiplayer mechanic. Yeah, yeah, the last couple of Mario games have not been nearly as good with the multiplayer. Like, it's almost easier to not do that because... Yes, this is not that the case with this one. Yeah, I know, I know. That's why I definitely want to get it. Uh, I can almost assure you that uh, a pair of twins over here is going to get that for Christmas. <laughs> that's the plan. So I picked up for real cheap, I don't know if I talked about this last time, uh, a game called SteamWorld Dig 2, which is uh, a Metroidvania game. It was like $3.00. Uh, over a sale over like Thanksgiving or something like that. Uh, it's not long. I think I beat it in like 20 odd hours, uh, you know, which is a little short for a Metroidvania or maybe even less than that. But um, I didn't hundred percent it. There's a, a whole thing you can do if you decide to hundred percent it, but I just didn't care. But yeah, it's a lovely little Metroidvania game where you play a robot and you dig in mines and kill bad guys and stuff and upgrade your stuff and go explore more. It's very, it's very entertaining in that regard. Um, so yeah, if you see it cheap, I highly recommend picking it up if you like Metroidvanias. Just you know, it, it's not long. Just just know that if if you're gonna buy if you're gonna buy for full price, it's like it's not it's not a long game. So don't you know take that into account. If you're okay with that, buy it now. If you're not, wait for a sale. There's always a sale on Steam. All right. Well, I will roll it out by saying that um, over the Thanksgiving break, we were over at my sister's house and her partner uh, slapped in Mario Kart Eight. And we were all playing together, which was a blast. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I am completely re-addicted to Mario Kart 8. So I've been playing that pretty relentlessly. It's a good game. It is, it is. And the the the, the rumor that has been circulating uh, is that, and this is just unfounded rumor, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, several of the, the video game related podcasts I listen to have been talking about how the industry thinks that the, uh, switch Two will be coming next year. And if it does, uh, that it will be, um, Mario Kart nine would be a launch title for, it, which would be a really awesome way to launch it. I don't know, man. I, I think if they were going to launch the switch Two next year, I think they would have announced it by now. No, absolutely not. During the oh, holiday season? Oh, sure. They might want to try to get those no. last. No. Yeah. Gosh, no. No, I think that they would save that and then do the announcement uh, a couple months after the holidays. 
no, this is the, I think this is the last, the last hurrah. And, and having played that last Zelda game, I think it's time because man, that was, that runs a little rough around the edges. Yeah. I'm hoping there's a new switch so I can play that. I've been kind of holding off. It, I mean, it's a phenomenal game. It's a phenomenal game, but it just, it runs really rough around the edges because that, that, that hardware is tapped, man. Well, my last game I picked up, uh, on Thanksgiving sale, two point campus. Uh, on the PS4 or PS5. I'm so curious about those two-point games. I've not yet played any of them. Uh, they are spiritual successors to like Sim Hospital and Sim College or something like that. They're, they're made by a lot of the same people. Um, they're very, very silly games. Very silly games. Uh, it's got dad humor. Like, uh, for example, I think it was the third campus. Um, I got tasked with opening up a night school. And so, you know, I had to make battlefields and jousting tournament tables and stuff like that for all my knights in their night school. Not funny. Not a good dad joke for you. I'm letting it wash over me. Night school. Marinating in it. Night school, you know? Yeah. Because you're you're making night school. It's good. It's good. And they have a totally not Hogwarts for one of the chapters, which is amusing. And, uh. Yeah, just people interact with weird things in that and you know, it's it's a it's a management game, but the courses are all very, very silly. Like they they have an internet history course, and so you populate the internet history lab with like very old looking machines and, and stuff like that that are very silly and uh I don't know. I think the management stuff is a little bit better in two point campus, but like the wackiness was way better in two point hospital. Because the diseases that people came in with were hilarious. They were the best. Like uh, one of the best ones, one of the very, very early diseases that people would walk in with was uh, lightheadedness, where people's heads would literally be replaced with a light bulb. (laughs) And then when you learned how to cure lightheadedness, what it would do is it was this chair and it was basically next to a, a 3D printer and this claw would come over and it would unscrew their head and pull it off. And then the, the, the person would like, you know, their arms would freak out and they would touch the stump of their neck, you know, like in a little panicked way. And then they put their arms down because the technician goes, calm down, calm down. And then it 3D prints a new head and brings it over and just like jams it on them as hard as it can. <laughs> and then they, they get up and like twist their new head around. They're like, yeah, they walk out. They're all happy because they're cured. And then in a later patch, they added in. Uh, another disease that could be cured with that same machine called uh, head crabs, which were basically the head crabs from Half-Life. The machine would like pry them off the people's heads and then print them a new head because <laughs> the crab would eat their head, you know? I need to play these games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Two Point, two point Hospital was pretty fun. Uh, they have this horrifying thing that you can make called the Injectinator, which is uh, a patient gets on it face down and then it jams a horrifyingly large needle into their spine (laughs) lovely yeah like it's so big it's so wrong (laughs) having having witnessed a spinal tap before let me tell you that that's that's yeah that's uh that is upsetting and then there's uh there's clown fever where people walk in dressed as clowns and uh the the machine that you have to invent to to cure them of their their clown fever is uh, everything looks like a circus tent inside and they walk into the circus tent and then the circus tent like uh, like doesn't disintegrate. It just kind of like unravels and drops to the floor and the clown's just like standing there like kind of freaked out and then all of a sudden all these scary things jump out at them and if you cure them of their clown disease, they get so scared like their clothes fall off and they turn back into normal people and they walk out kind of (laughs) sad. It's so good. 
so yeah, two two point canvas is the better game, like gameplay wise. It's it, the management's better, and there's just more to do, and it's a little bit more interesting. But two point hospital is much better with the just the just it's 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 cuckoo banana pants to steal a term from you. It's it's very amusing. I like it. I I need to try those. I definitely need to try those. That's it. Which goes to my other. Do you have any other? I've got some other. I dude. don't. Oh God. Okay. Well, first off, I have now run two sessions of my daughter's school's D and D club. How is that going? It's going about as well as you'd think with a whole bunch of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders at a gaming table, which is to say, just pure insanity. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's half the fun. Yeah. At that age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've been running adventures from adventures league and, uh, yeah, we're running this one that's based off of, uh, like the, the giants storm Kings of thunder, that, that one, um, where they get this treasure map and they're trying to find treasures, uh, that, uh, have been left around. And in the first one they get attacked, uh, the, 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 the people, some people beat them to steal the treasure for, before them, but the, the chest that they were, they, the treasure was in was cursed. And so, the hill giant and a boatload of his goblin minions all got shrunk. So the hill giant is about a little bit shorter than a halfling and the goblins are, uh, they're literally like swarming creatures. And so when I played it, the, the goblins acted like Ash from army of darkness when he got attacked by all his little mini clones. Like I described them as like running up, you know, all of them having holding like a dagger between like seven of them and going running speed. And then like trying to stab someone in the foot, you know, good times. Um, and then the the goblin swarm had 22 hit points. So for every hit point that one of the players did, that's how many go- little, little goblins they squished with their weapons or whatever. And then uh, and then the hill giant, I uh, <laughs> I made a crack where uh, when they first encountered the hill giant, I, I I had him kind of speak in dude bro, and they thought it was real funny. So <laughs> he he just became this this dude bro from then on. And when he when one of the other players murdered, you know, finally killed him, he goes like, "Oh, dude, not cool, bro, not cool, bro." <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's been fun. And then my other thing, Jonathan, is I'm going to I'm going to hype my other project right now. I, I fired up a TikTok channel following my progress with my uh, proton pack. So that stuff has evolved since we talked about it last time when I was going to try to kit bash one together. I realized that was a really bad idea. Uh, and I managed to get my hands on uh, one of the ones from Spirit Halloween uh, the day after Halloween. So it was half off. And so I have been messing around with altering that and the bizarre cottage industry that is the spirit Halloween proton pack. Like, oh my God, Jonathan, like go to Etsy and type in spirit proton pack. Oh, I I did. Yeah, I did. After you started talking about it. Yeah, right. Right. It is a whole subculture. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is exactly how you, the only way to describe it. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's nuts. It's it's I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's so weird, but uh, it's quite lovely. It's a quite lovely little subculture. Uh, again, fairly positive. I, I encountered my first negativity in it uh, pretty recently, actually, when somebody went on a terror about the uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters, which I was half expecting. But, you know, the person actually said something like thoughtful about it instead of, you know, I don't like girls, which uh, it, a lot of it devolves into, which they were whining about 
uh, that movie and Ghostbusters 2 at the same time, which is, you know, so it's like you got the first movie where they're going into business and, you know, building up their business. And then the second one, for some reason, they're not in business. And so they have to build up their business again. And then they do this reboot where they do the same story a third time. And it's like, come on, like, because we're talking about Frozen Empire and how people are looking forward to it. Because it's going to be like the first movie in the entire freaking Ghostbusters franchise where they are in business. You know, like they've been doing it and it's fine. And we're jumping in from that point instead of things getting rebuilt again, which I mean, I think it's fair to say it's, it's, it's speaking of cottage industries, you know? Yeah. The ghost busting. Yeah. But I'm just saying like I, that, that is a good point. Like there's been four movies now where uh, it's valid. Yeah. It's valid. So I it, think that's just, uh, maybe some poor writing choices, I think is how I would classify that. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. And, and it's a very valid point about Ghostbusters too. I didn't get it. It, it like, I remember being disappointed in that notion when I was a kid because I'd been watching the real Ghostbusters and just the thought that, oh, no, 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 this def- that definitely didn't happen at all in these movies. That, th- those cartoons aren't part of this at all. Like, I felt, as a real Ghostbusters fan, I felt very brushed off by the, the movies. And uh, I remember feeling that way when I was a kid and kind of kind of that leaving a sour note in my mouth, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But again, it's been lovely. Uh, I, I have a TikTok channel. I think I'm the Battle Gnome. I think that's my name. Uh, I'll link it. Yes. The, I'll link it in the Discord uh, now that I've got three videos up. But yeah, I've got a, I've got a fourth. And, re- and remember to help you with the uh, the algorithm, uh, likes and um, shares. Shares yeah. is real important in that TikTok algorithm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got my fourth video filmed. I just haven't done the voiceover for it because I figured out trying to do the voiceover while I'm also filming it is just a bad plan. I, I've learned how to talk on the podcast, so I should play to my strengths. So I film, <laughs> I, I, I film a bunch of footage and then I, I talk about it live and I try to keep it entertaining. And I, uh, the second video was pretty easy to do. The third one I had to restart four times, but then the fourth take was the one I kept. And then uh, we'll see how this new one goes. My son, my son Miles wants to be, he actually is in it. I have footage of him helping me do some stuff in the, uh, in the fourth one. Not show his face. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in showing, especially children's faces on the internet. Uh, but I, I don't even want to show my face on the internet. I'm right there with you. I'm yeah. right there with you. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I, I, I showed you a preview of what's to come. I have cut off the old cyclotron. I have it sitting next to me right now because I took a picture of it in my bedroom. So it's, it's right over there. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to put on a one I bought off of Etsy, uh, a better one. <laughs> I'm getting ready to put that on it. So it's good times. It's fun. I have tried. I have tried to help you. Uh, one of the guys who started following me, actually, he's planning on doing a very similar thing to me. So he's been watching me, you know, stumble through this to kind of see what's oh, to come. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was watching his TikTok channel and he was he was talking about doing it. And I, I totally put together why he's so interested in what I'm doing, because I'm doing exactly what he wants to do right now. <laughs> Living the dream. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, you, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to see that next video, Jonathan. I can't wait because it's sexy. It's sexy. I finally, uh, in that one, I finally put all the pieces of all the kit I have, like, not together. Like, they're not bolted on permanently, but they're, uh, I, I put it on, you know, like, you know, just laying on top of it and stuff. And it looks so nice, Jonathan. It looks so nice. I can't wait for you guys to see it. It'll be quite good. I'm excited. I am absolutely excited. Yeah. And it's, it, what's also interesting is as, oh my God, you, you would not, you know how much time I devoted to like Dracula? 
<laughs> oh, I'm well aware. Yeah, I, I am. I'm going. I'm going pretty far down the rabbit hole with proton pack construction, and uh, yeah, the the later videos in the series, I'm gonna have to explain my thought process. I think, which is good because I'll I'll be able to show stills. But I've been I've been finding reference photos um, of, of proton packs, and I've kind of decided what I want to do. Fun fact: uh, it the gas of the community is the afterlife packs uh, are sprayed down with, of all things, truck bed liner, Rust-Oleum truck bed liner to give it that texture. So I bought a can and I'm going to spray it on the piece I cut off. I have a test piece, so that's perfect, but I'm going to, I'm going to test it out on that and see how it looks uh, before I, you know, commit to it. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to spray it down with that. I'm going to give it texture. I'm going to do so much that thing. I'm going to, and it's fun because I'm going to do things I've never done before. Like, um, if I spray it down with that, te- that texture, I can't spray down the whole thing because not everything has that texture. So I'm going to have to mask off with masking tape a whole bunch of stuff. And I've never done that before. So that'll be fun. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole bunch. I, I, um, and here's the power of the internet people. Uh, uh, your local library, I've 3d printed stuff that I'm going to put on the, on the proton pack. I've showed you some of that. Like I, I made a full size clipper valve, um, which is a thing on the back of the proton pack. But the one I had on there was really dumb looking. And I'm like, I'm, I just printed out a, a full size thing and I'm going to hack off the old one and put that one on and, uh, some transistors and stuff. I'm going to hack off and do the same thing with. And then, um, yeah, the buy nothing. I, uh, my library of all places also had Dremels that you could <laughs> borrow from them. Nice. Uh, but I didn't do that because I, on buy nothing, somebody was advertising. They want to give one away. I'm like, Oh crap. I want a Dremel for that. I'd rather have one than have to borrow it from the library if I need to use it more than once. So I, I, I got a free Dremel off of neighbors on the internet and I, I had to go to the store and buy some bits and bobs for it because you know, they had used it, but you know, the actual factual Dremel, which is like 30, 40 bucks, I think, you know, I got that for free, which is kind of nice. So yeah, yeah. Buy nothing groups, people. Very good stuff. And your local library. Also very good stuff. Make sure you check out what they got. Because you could be like my library and it has 3D printers. And every Tuesday for the last several weeks, I've gone there and taken over their lab because, you know, as long as nobody wants to use the the 3D printers, they let me go nuts in that place. So I have several printers going off at once printing stuff for my, my proton pack project. Nice. And they're and they're just happy to see me there. It's it's so cute. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm t- I'm hogging all the space. They're like, dude, there's no line. I'm happy you're using this stuff. This is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm doing it tomorrow. I'm gonna go print up a booster tube because I found out the one on my proton packs uh, removable and it sucks. So I'm gonna make a new one. Nice. And I, and if oh. you, if you knew what the booster tube was, gentle listener, you'd say, why do you care? And it's like I. I don't know. I do though. <laughs> I do. Because you want it to be the best that it can be. I get that. Yeah. And also I've taken a crash course in 3d printing. I've been thinking about getting a 3d printer, but we'll see how that happens. By the way, if you, if you want to make a proton pack on your own, uh, and, and money is less of an object. Um, if you want to buy one that's already together and you don't have to worry about too much, uh, the Haslab one, if you can get your hands on it, it's pretty, that that's a, mm, it's a solid choice. But um, the 3D printing community is pretty cool when it comes to Ghostbusters. You can get a very solid looking pack out of a free uh, 3D print file that you can just download off the internet. Like it's all there. Um, the guys who made it, they try to get money out of you by not uh, by the the instructions on how to assemble it and the the screws you should use and all that. Th- that's an ele- that's a, like an eleven dollar purchase that they split amongst themselves. But if you just want to tackle it, you know, just like you know. 
you know, just do it live or whatever. You can print every single piece off of it for free and get all those STL files. And it makes it, and no less, and no less, what's crazy is they have versions for the 84 version of the pack, the 90, 89 version of the pack from Ghostbusters 2, the uh, Afterlife version of the pack. Uh, they just released the slime blower that you could 3D print if you want to. Nice. And um, they're working on putting together what originally was known in the community as uh, the the pack from Frozen Throne. They were calling it the Cyclothong because it looked like, you know, it, it, the bumper on the back had a, had a little extra strip. I think I mentioned that last time. But it has now been dubbed the Elsa pack, which is, I guess, a little bit more family friendly, you know, because it's frozen. <laughs> I like the first one. All right. <laughs> well that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment which means of course it is break time and when we return it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment so we will see you in just a moment we love getting feedback so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following you can become our patron over at patreon search for forgot my dice we also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Ah. Oh. I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And Robert, why don't you go ahead and get us started off with your top story. All righty then. Well, next year, Jonathan, is the 50th anniversary of Dungeons & Dragons. And even though Dungeons & Dragons and I are on a break, that's not something I can ignore. Uh, they've announced what they're going to do next year, what they're going to release. They're going to release the Vecna Eye of Ruin, a level, uh, a adventure that will take you from levels one to 20, where you fight Vecna at the end. Fun stuff. Quest from the Infinite Staircase, which is a collection of old D&D adventures updated for the 5.5 edition. The making of the original Dungeons and Dragons, 1970 to 1976. What it says on the tin is correct. And the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Monster Manual for D&D 5.5 will be out that same year. So there you go. All right. Well, PAX Unplugged recently uh, finished up. So I'll be uh, talking a lot about uh, some of the announcements and news that came out from uh, PAX Unplugged. That, that's where they announced it's, all this D&D stuff, actually. Well, there you go. Uh, the first of which is from Mind Clash Games. It is Ironwood from, and I'm going to kill these names, Julien Chaput and Mile Brunet. I am so sorry. I'm pr I probably did those dirty. So Ironwood is a rules light card driven tactical game. It's very asymmetric and um, has you and an opponent basically alternating playing each round a total of three of your faction specific cards uh, for action effects. 
So these effects could be like moving your warbands around, initiating combat between warbands, extracting uh, different resources, um, bestowing temporary passives, all kinds of stuff. Um, you use those same cards as values during combat as well. So it's a it's an interesting kind of mix of, of um, styles there. So Ironclad's supposed to come out in 2024. And uh, yeah, it even has a solo mode, which has me kind of uh, very interested, very interested. Our friends at Pelgrane Press, fine makers of such things as Knight's Black Agents, have said they were a little overly ambitious with uh, the idea that Trail of Cthulhu could come out in November for crowdfunding, because it's not out, obviously. So they have announced a slight delay to March of 2024 for the crowdfunding for the new game, because they are working out, you know, it was the first gumshoe game, so they've made several since then, so they're going to revise it to be a little bit more user-friendly and organized and whatnot. So expect that in March of next year with a free quick start uh, with the crowdfunding campaign if you're interested in reading about it. So more news came out from the um, PAX Unplugged time, although this was actually from, was not available at the show. This is actually an expansion to Heat, Pedal to the Metal, which is a game I am dying to try. I've not had a chance to try it yet from Days of Wonder. Uh, It's a racing game. Uh, the first expansion is coming out, and the news actually comes out of the Spanish branch of Asmodee, uh, and it is called Juvia Torrencial, or um, basically Torrential Downpour, or Torrential Rain. So it includes two new circuits on a double-sided board. It has actual puddles in the corners that complicate braking. Uh, the two uh, tracks that it comes with are the Japanese Grand Prix and the Mexican Grand Prix, um, and uh, it also adds a seventh player color, so that you can uh, add more players, which is awesome. Uh, it looks like it's uh, going to be released in early 2024 and uh, will be coming out in definitely Spanish, uh, but it looks like it will be translated and released for other versions of the game soon enough. All right, well, my last story is Pathfinder Remastered, the Orc edition or Orc license edition of Pathfinder is out in the wild right now. And you can get the PDFs. I, I'm not sure if the books are out. I, if they're not now, they will, will be by the time this comes out. It's really close. Uh, one of the things they've been really trying to do with this, you know, new edition of Pathfinder 2, which is, you know, only a couple years old, is they really tried to clean up the books and make it much more readable because uh, there was some criticism of the uh, organization of the previous book. And so they're taking that to heart and trying to fix that up. So, yeah, go out to your FLGS and give it a look if you're remotely interested in Pathfinder 2. All right, then finally, Wise Wizard Games. Uh, you may know them from a little something called Star Realms. Definitely played around my parts. Uh, I have announced a new imprint, Wacky Wizard Games. They will be debuting that imprint in early 2024 with three brand new family-friendly lightweight games. These all will contain, and I quote here, a more whimsical, cute vibe that, than what's released by the parent company. First up is Star Realms Academy. This is a simplified version of Star Realms. Um, and it features less math and absolutely no reading. So it's think of it like a, a kid's version. There's a game called Caution Signs. This uh, definitely falls into the party game category. Uh, you are presented with a secret combination of adjective and noun. Uh, for instance, flexible cow or gassy monkeys. Uh, definitely a common problem in my house as well. Um, more than 10,000 combinations, in fact, and you have 20 seconds to sketch an image of this combo onto a caution sign. 
And then, as you'd imagine, all of them are uh, revealed, and a winner is declared if the guesser tries to or is successful in figuring out what each sign is about. Finally, Pack the Essentials, which is a lightweight abstract strategy game, and it's for one to four players by Jacqueline Atkins, and it features, I kid you not, packing cats in suitcases. That is the entirety of the game. And there you go. Wacky Wizard Games. And I had one more, Robert, that I, I've totally forgot in another tab. Um, this is very basic. You know the game. We've played the game Wordle. It is now a $12 board game. Coming from Hasbro, uh, it's Wordle the Party Game. And it's like a it, it's inspired by the digital version. Comes with dry erase markers. Really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, $12.99. It's two to four players. You take uh, each player turns uh, that takes a turn as a host, writes down a secret word, and then it's up to the other players to guess what that secret word was. If you don't know how Wordle works, look it up online. It's very straightforward, and it is uh, if you're a word person, a ton of fun. I think. I'll tell you what. I will see your last minute edition and raise you one. Uh, I forgot. Is it Britney Spears Monopoly? No, I wish. Okay, because that was in the news too, but I skipped over it because a Britney Spears and B Monopoly. Britney Spears is okay, people. No, uh, the first edition of Shadowrun, which everybody agrees is a hot mess, is going to be reprinted by Catalyst Games sometime soon, which... Yay! I I have no idea why, but it's uh, the first edition was printed <laughs> in 1988, and uh, hopefully it is better than the print-on-demand one that they already have on DriveThruRPG, because apparently that one's like a PDF, or a, uh, an actual scan from an actual factual book, and apparently there's like some notes written, written in a couple of margins that aren't supposed to be there and whatnot, so hopefully this is a cleaner copy, if that is your jam. But yeah, yeah, if you wanted some old-school cyberpunky fantasy nonsense where you put wires into your heads to go into those internets, there you go. Apparently Old Shadowrun was the game of... Uh, the crew breaks in and then the GM and the hacker play a separate game about hacking while everybody else goes out for a pizza. And by the time they're done and come back, uh, it'll be time to run away from the place because the hacking is done. That's, uh, that's how I've heard it described. I could go for a snack. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our wisdom of crowd segment, which means now Robert, it is time for our year in life segment where we look back at what we had going on a full year ago. Forgot My Dice episode 135, Run Around a Lot and cry, and They Cry. We reviewed nothing. It was December 6th. We reviewed nothing, Jonathan. Not a piece of history we are repeating today, my friend. Fair enough. But we did look at such things as... Wow, I was, I was still in Dracula Mania. I watched Dracula's Daughter and Drafts of Dracula. Uh, or I read drafts of Dracula. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the notes. Um, you probably played Ghostbusters: Spirits Unleashed. Oh no, that was we were playing that together. Ghostbusters video. We should, we should do more of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I watched the unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm, good times, good times. Oh, weird. The Al Yankovic story. Good times. And uh, our our king of all things was the Green Mile. Still kicks me in the feels every time. Maybe I was expecting it, but. It didn't quite get me as bad as some of the other movies. But then again, I, I've heard that movie was supposed to kick you in the feels. So I kind of knew it was coming and it took some of the punch out. Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 like a machine the way it's designed to get you right in the in the, the feels. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's it. Place out. Segment done. That brings us to the end of our year in the life segment, which means it's breaky break time. And when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive. But first, uh, here's a few important words from your uh, sponsors. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And today we deep dive Tidal Blades Banner Festival. Uh, let's see if I can make it through this. You can do it. I'll try to like lean into the sexy, sick voice. Flags of all colors dance in the wind as Navirians converge to trawl for the long-awaited Banner Festival. You are an up-and-coming merchant trying to generate the most profits for your trading house. Sell goods on the docks, befriend the right suppliers, and make your bets at the watercraft race. Opportunities abound in the floating market, but only for the keenest trader will prevail. I can't. I don't know if that's right. I pulled it off the back of the box. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, that, that's an accurate description of the game. Tell me, Jonathan, how does it play? All right, so let's talk about this game. Uh, first of all, you will have a board, and that board will be uh, basically a, a series of concentric circles. The outermost circle contains uh, a bunch of different uh, areas where you will put markers down, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Then the next ring in is a ring of colors, which indicate which market is currently active. There's actually a trade gate that goes around this particular ring, letting you know what, uh, which of the markets is currently active. Um, then there's another ring on the inside of that, which is the actual racing ring. And that ring is where your, um, watercraft will be racing around and racing is one of the themes of the, of the game, but not the central theme. It's just one of the ways that you make profit. And then finally in the middle, there's a big, uh, globe, which will be where your fruit supply goes. And this is the same fruit that we saw in the uh, original title blades, which we reviewed, uh, quite some time ago. And yeah, that's the basics of the board. Setup is pretty straightforward. Uh, you build a thing called the merchandise deck. The merchandise deck is a randomized deck of cards. Everybody will ha- get a hand dealt from it. The number of cards that go into it is dependent on the player count that you have. Um, so for instance, if you are playing with two to four players, you're going to remove the four zero value cards from that deck and return them to the box. The fruit supply is laid out you will assemble your individual's character deck. You'll choose a player color, take all the character cards that are specific to your player, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you'll get a reference card, banners in your player color. You'll place a meeple in the middle on the racetrack, uh, again, matching to your color. And the trade gate will go in the, um, aligned with the fourth space of the racing track. That's always going to start in the exact same place. And uh, yeah, depending on the um, depending on the number of players that you have, you'll take a specific amount of fruit and a you'll get dealt a specific amount of cards from the merchandise deck. And at that point, you are going to be good to go. You are ready to play. So let's talk about what playing looks like. It's a reasonably simple game with a lot of complexity. So in terms of simplicity of of gameplay, you've basically got a very basic four-step structure to the round. Each round, the lead player is going to move the trade gate forward. 
that is not going to occur on the very, very first turn, but will occur every, um, every turn afterwards. You're going to move it one to four spaces clockwise around the game's board, and that's going to determine what color is active in that particular round. Each section of the board, is, imagine it is a circular board, so it's divided into quadrants like big pizza, pizza slices. Depending on which trade gate is active will tell you the order that the merchandise cards will play because one of the steps in playing the game is that all players are going to simultaneously play a merchandise card from their hand. Now, the merchandise cards have a couple different components to them. One is the color of the background. And that's what I mean when um, the trade gate is going to dictate which colors are active first. So, for an example, the trade space of teal, when the trade gate is lying on teal, the order of, uh, uh, of importance in terms of what cards are played will be teal goes first, then purple, then orange, then yellow. And then within any given color, each of the cards also has a numerical value on it. The higher the number, the earlier you will go in the turn order. Does that all make sense? Yes. Then you're going to resolve actions. Um, once you've ranked all the players' uh, merchandise cards and figured out who's going first and, and what the hierarchy is this particular time, the highest ranked card is going to get to move their watercraft clockwise to the trade gate's current location. If your watercraft is already at that location, then it's actually going to do a full lap of the track, which, again, is one of the ways that you net profit. After your water car, uh, watercraft is finished moving, if you passed the eighth space on the racing track, which is like the end of the lap, you reveal the top card of your character deck and place it face up next to your deck. The more laps you complete, the deeper you dig into your deck, the more profit you're going to score at the end of the game because that's the way you're basically constructing a scoring engine. All make sense? Yeah, it all makes sense. Now, there's also a stunt location that is indicated by your top most revealed character card. And if you hit that stunt location, you get to take a fruit from that pool in the middle of the game board. Each card that you reveal will have a different stunt location. So that, that's one of the variables of the game. For cards that are lower, uh, lower ranked and mid ranked, so basically like there's the top rank, there's the lowest rank, and then anything else in the middle is considered a mid rank, you're going to resolve the, pr the ability that's printed on the merchandise card you played this bout. So for the person with the lowest ranked card, they'll also become the lead player in the next uh, in the next round for the mid-ranked cards they are going to start placing banners which are basically little chits that are uh, matching to their color so if you remember the outermost ring has uh, a bunch of spaces on them where we we put these chits and that is basically representative of like a dock or a path that is leading from the the, the city into this this trade area those different spaces have different functions associated with them. And when you put down one of your markers, if you are one of these mid-ranked cards, then you get an opportunity to um, activate the abilities in those spaces. Again, yet another one of the ways that you can kind of have a very different play through each time you go through, because depending on how the rankings go, you may get your first pick or last pick of the available spaces, meaning that you may or may not get that function that you're looking for to try and score points. All make sense? That made sense. Next, you're going to be resolving those, those, those actions that are actually printed on the card. And this is, again, where we start to see a lot of variations. This game really comes down to playing the right card 
at the right time. Because each of the cards, it can be extremely useful, and it can also be not so useful depending on when you play it in the game. So you really have to, to, to start to know your deck and to know when to play a card from your hand because that's going to give you the uh, ability to basically construct a series of moves that gives you a, the highest level of profit. Now, the last step of every given round is that you're going to check for feast scoring every time uh, the fruit pool becomes empty. So as the round goes on, and as you're resolving your actions, the, you're, you're going to be taking fruit from the center of the pool for a variety of different reasons, um, and that is going to eventually run out. And when that does run out, at that point, you are going to... Um, check to see if you've satisfied basically the, 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 what the rules describe as a feast, which is where you stop and basically score. When you stop and score, you get an opportunity to earn tokens, and those tokens, of course, go towards your final score at the end of the game. Now, the neat thing is all of these things are going to be resolved simultaneously, so the, the game moves very, very rapidly because everybody's doing everything at the exact same time, which is awesome. And then at the end of all of the rounds, you will enter a, a final scoring phase where you look at everything that you've accomplished during the game and you come up with a final number. And of course, whoever has the most profit wins. And that is the game in a nutshell. Yeah, makes sense. So how's the rulebook do explaining all that? You, you mentioned kind of the, uh, the weirdness in the language in the back box. Does that carry over? Is that something that's in the rulebook? Okay, so yeah, there. Okay, this was the same as Tidal Blades. There's a very distinct universe, a world that they've created there, and so there is a lot of specificity in what they call things. It's just all part of the overall story. I, I totally get that. Sometimes it gets in the way of the rules. Not so much. Like it's not terrible. It's just kind of you. You need to understand what their particular vocabulary is. In terms of learning the game, though. The rulebook is very straightforward and very well laid out. It's 12 pages long, and you get through it very, very rapidly. The only downside is that there's no particular index, so that can mean that when you're trying to work out the specifics of something on the, the first playthrough or two, because really, this is one of those games where it doesn't seem very deep. The depth comes from the variety of the way the cards interact with each other. So as, as you're, you're going through those first two games, it'll be kind of a pain to, to reference specific rules that you're looking for, but honestly, there's there's not a ton of depth in the 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 way the game is played. The the depth comes from what you're playing and when you're playing it. And to that end, it's it's uh, it's a very functional, very good rulebook. I think we played Title Blade together, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, we did. I remember it. it awesome. I remember it being very pretty. How does this one hold up? Same thing. Same artist, same team. The game is beautiful to look at. Um, it really is just, it's, it's a neat little universe, which is why I decided to pick this up. And this is a completely different type of game from Tidal Blades, but it also sits within the greater universe quite nicely. And they're, they're really constructing something interesting with that universe. Yeah, I was looking uh, while you were talking if the, uh, the role-playing game had come out. That was part of one of the Kickstarters, but it hasn't yet. I'm kind of curious. I am too. I want to dive into that world. That world seems like a cool world to be in. Indeed. Indeed. Anyway, uh, you already kind of mentioned it in the rule book, but was there anything off in the execution of the game? In the actual execution? No, not at all. It's, it's a, a very streamlined experience. Once you get it, you're, you've got it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's, there's just, it, it's one of those games where the, the, the more familiar you become with the game, 
the more you're going to get out of it. Almost, almost kind of like how we talk about uh, uh, Welcome To, you know? Mm-hmm. Like every time we play it, we're playing the same experience, and yet it's a completely different experience because of what cards come up. This is that exact same way. Picking your character means that you're going to have some character-specific abilities, which gives you variation. The random draw that you get from the merchant deck gives you further variation. The thought that the cards will have a different ranking depending on where that trade gate is gives you even more variation. You cannot look at a card and say, this card is always good because sometimes it won't be because it's not the right time for that card. You have to be very, very conscious of the decisions that you make in this game to get ahead. You have to play the long game and you have to be looking at the game from a big picture perspective. And you really do need to plan out your moves based on where that trade gate lies. It's it's a fascinating mind puzzle and it really works well. As this game play and what's the best player count for it? Do you need the full boat or does it play well with just two or how does it work? Actually, the, in, in testing a couple different player accounts, um, I think they've, they've made some real smart decisions about what is and isn't included, and it ends up balancing it out quite well, regardless of player count, which is awesome. Um, I played it with two, and I played it with four, uh, and I can't see how three would be any different, and it, it, it balanced out very, very well, and we ended up with very close scores each time. All right, Jonathan, you have one last thing that you were allowed to say about this game to our fine fine audience what is that thing going to be you know just like the original title blades i was attracted to this game because of the cover art and uh, i took a chance on it and i'm really really glad that i did because the game is slick it's slick and it's fun and the best part is it distinctly feels like a piece of this universe that they've created like it is a very cohesive universe but at the same time this is a completely different game it's a completely different way of approaching things it's a completely different thought puzzle and that that makes it awesome I'm so curious to see what direction they take this universe next. And it's, it's really, it's, they're, they're creating something special here. Yeah. I remember, uh, the lore of the last one was really fun. I was glad they made it. Yeah. And you get a lot of lore in this one too. There's, there's quite a bit of lore in there. That's very cool. All right. Well, right on, right on. Well, I think that's it, Jonathan. Play us out. All right, well, that brings us to the end of episode 147 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you, especially Discord. That seems to be the most active right now. And my TikTok. Yes, and go look at Robert's TikToks, and please don't forget to like and uh, share. Yeah, yeah. And Robert, any final thoughts? God, no, man. I am so... Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm... The decongestants are wearing off, and I'm ready to just go be miserable upstairs. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just the right level of sick, man. It's uh, I'm getting better. (laughs) I I I, I feel better than yesterday. You know that. You know that. You know what my day has been. You know that day that you're 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 getting better, and you go to work, and you're like, man, I probably shouldn't have come here today. I'm like not entirely all here. That's today. It's like you you feel decent, but then by the end of the day, you also feel like triple tired. I wouldn't even say I'm tired. I've just been just I've just been out of it enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been that's where yeah. I've been. I completely spaced out earlier. I, I started thinking about something. I started thinking about the RPG and I, I was just it was like JD and Scrubs. I was off in my head when you when you start talking to me. <laughs> Alright, well that brings us to the end of our episode, which means there's only one last thing to say, Robert, and that is to be excellent to one another. And party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And stop. <laughs> you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 